big index stock fund and a big index bond fund when mixed together in a 60-40 gives you complete security. Folks, that is not true. Just the fact is that some of the events that occurred are now out of the memory of the people who are writing about them. And as a result, they don't think they're possible anymore. But as Jorge Santayana, well, George, I better yet, let's use Will, no, Will Rogers, uh, Mark Twain. History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Totally end, true. End of, end, of, end of soapbox performance here. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else filled the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, where we will talk to you about such things as the... Filling up walls with English dead. Yes, and yes. In inverted yield curves, and the right. slaughtering and crushing impact of a 2% decline in the housing market. <laughs> things like that, you know. Right. Very, very, very exciting statistical economic things. That cause all eight-year-olds to quickly leave the room. It's true. And 80-year-olds, 80, and too. 100% success in all of my anecdotal testing of that, by the way. As soon as I go into my spiel, this is something when my uh, children are visiting elsewhere and they request to hear dad, daddy on the radio. Um, they turn on the radio. They hear me talking for about five seconds and they say, okay, turn it off. <laughs> They love me, but they don't want to hear this. I don't know right. why. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating and riveting conversation. doesn't have to do with dragons, um, except as a national symbol of China occasionally. There, there are no rescue rangers or ducks swimming in gold coins, though there's connotations to all of that across what we talk about. So um, Here's to our efforts to increase the interest in our conversation in eight-year-olds. We're asking the Fed to raise that interest rate for us. Um, they seem to have a difficulty on their end as well. So this is the Personal Wealth Coach, and I should have given you a disclosure before we started with that inanity, is that we are quite inane. Uh, we are bald, bearded, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, occasionally gentlemen, though uh, we may not represent it at any given moment. Uh, we... Uh, Let's see. What other disclosures do we have? We like puns a lot. Um, and the name of this program and the name of our firm, it's the same name, the Personal Wealth Coach. That firm is registered with the SEC to give fiduciary investment advice. That's in the best interest of the client. Um, but we can't do that on the air because we don't know you guys, or at least some of you we don't know. The one of you over there, that one, yep, we don't know you, but, oh, nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you. Uh, but we can't give advice on the air even if we did know you all because it wouldn't be very private, and it's very hard to customize the advice to each and every one of you when radio is a very one-size-fits-all. So what are we doing instead of advice? Education, hopefully, or re-education, if you prefer. <laughs> uh, there's a camp for that, but we... Recommend, it's an economics re-education camp where we teach you to hit rocks with hammers uh, to understand the value of work. Um, and uh, we are uh, taking licensing fees from all governmental authorities. Thank you. <clears throat> Very economical. Uh, let's see, next disclosure. By the way, that was facetious. We don't operate any re-education camps 
anywhere on the continental or uh, territory of the United States, just or elsewhere either. Good disclosure to have. I think everybody should have that in their program. Uh, we don't pay for this radio program. <laughs> We're obviously not paid either. Who'd pay us? Ugh, oh my. Um, we have been doing this as volunteer. We do get benefit from it in that people occasionally call our firm based on it. But the reality is that we've been giving up our Saturday mornings for me now 25 years. 25 years I have been giving up my Saturday mornings so that I can mumble onto a foam ball, hopefully educating some people and possibly confusing the fire out of everybody else. Um, you've been doing this for 27 years, so two extra years longer. That, that's old Baldy, by the way. Older Baldy is Jeff. Younger Baldy is Jake. Older Baldy is the father of younger Baldy. And if you can figure out that logic puzzle that gave you all of the answers, then you get applause. Um, let's see. We don't pay for the program. Oh, just because we're registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC likes us. They're not paid to like people. They don't do that. So they haven't given us any kind of thumbs up, thumbs down. They just accepted our registration and said, mm, very nice and stamped it with stamps and wait whatever, a minute, wait whatever a minute, else wait a they do with the SEC. They did not say very nice. They, they said, pay us some money. They did. They said, pay us some money and make sure that you have filled out this entire form and that's, that is our relationship with them. Hopefully we keep it that way because the bad part of the relationship with them would be, you didn't do this right. And we don't like that side. So uh, uh, you have a disclosure that you wish to give though. Well, it's just a little one. If you deem the information, it so. The information that we provide on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. We will actively guarantee and warranty that all information that we do not say or speak or write is incomplete. Inquisitor John sent us a... Obviously, he was working hard to get us an email before the program started. He got it to us yesterday evening. And his question was, seems like strings attached to the CHIPS Act are on steroids. Have any past federal programs this been this extensive as to the requirements? What's he talking about? Well, he also sent this picture. It is the editorial opinion page. And anybody that listens to us for any length of time here, is, as soon as we say opinion page, our eyes are rolling. You can hear them because there's a lot of looseness back behind where our eyes are. So it kind of echoes. Uh, our eyes are rolling. And I'm sure John knew that was going to happen. The editorial board of the Wall Street Journal has an article written, Biden's New Industrial Social Policy. And it goes into great length about some of the strings that are attached to this CHIPS Act money. For those, and that's like, it's like $280 billion, but it's strung out over a longer period of time. The government's just like the lottery. They inflate the numbers a lot. So just keep that in mind. Um, and his question is, have these kind of strings ever been this bad before? Uh, if you recall when the CHIPS Act was passed, we gave it some pretty glowing praise. We said any act that's passed by Congress is going to have some stupid stuff in it that's just given. It doesn't matter who's in control. You're going to have stupid stuff in there because it was passed by Congress. Um, but as far as incentives go, it's giving temporary 
uh, subsidies for direct research. And these are the best, this is the best return on subsidy money that you can have, direct research type grants, direct uh, research and development. It's just off the charts, good returns for government tax revenues and everything else. It's also good for the people getting it. But in the process, now the Commerce Department is saying, all right, everybody can apply for this money now. And in their applications, the the chip makers have to describe wraparound services to support individuals from underserved and economically disadvantaged communities, such as adult care and transportation assisting and or housing assistance. And, um, and then the quote ends and it goes on with more opinion in this. So it, are those strings attached? Absolutely. These are the strings that are attached to all education and commerce money, period. It's something that unfortunately is true or fortunately, I don't know. The, these things, when, when the government gives money uh, or it, it doesn't matter how they give it, even if you're earning it, if you contract with the government to do something, there are strings attached even before you get the money. Like who owns your business? Is it minority represented? There's a lot of things that at the government level have been stacked up as requirements to receive government money. And this is true at all educational facilities that receive federal money. This is federal money for commerce and education, research and development. So it's going to have those strings attached. Is that good? Is it bad? I don't know. It's politics. Are these strings more than on other areas? No, actually, they're not. It's it, this is part of the reason why I gave it such glowing praise is because it was while anything that's passed by Congress is political, uh, this was one that was bipartisan. It was written majority Democratic Congress, so it was passed under majority rule of Democrats in both houses and the executive branch. So it's going to be a little left leaning. But having said all of that, economically, it's pretty sound. I can tell that Yellen was involved in the, the, the creation of this thing. Uh, the uh, other parts of the article is talking about how the Build Back Better stuff is being included in here. I wouldn't see that in this one so much as the uh, Inflation Protection Act, which is also starting to release money now. And it has a whole bunch of money for, for battery manufacturing and um, green energy. The combination of these two bills, by the way, these two laws is going to give a boost to our industrial sector, which the opinion writers of the Wall Street Journal have been complaining about needing a boost <laughs> for many years. Why isn't the government giving money to places where it's actually going to give some return? Well, now they're doing it. And now we say, well, now it's got all these strings attached. It's free money going to have strings attached. There's no such thing as free money. Um, is, it, is it a string that as a company, you would say, sure, I'll get some, um, I'll, I'll work in disadvantaged communities and worry about adult care for the parents of my engineers and maybe transportation assisting or housing assisting. But yeah, we can do that for the free money. So strings attached to free money, there's never, ever, ever been a time that government didn't put strings on money that they're air quotes giving you it doesn't matter what the intent was you've got you're gonna have the strings so is it on steroids no if this is this is what we've been complaining about at educational institutions for years what does adult care have to do with education well it doesn't but 
these are things that as as the voters have added their say, it's accumulated to the strings that are attached to all federal money. We also have Freedom of Information Act requests that are going to happen. So if companies are really, really trying to protect their intellectual property, they have to be careful what they write on government forms. Those, those are all, I mean, this is true. The Pension Protection Act uh, has all kinds of strings attached to your retirement money. Uh, the uh, Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP, the economic thing, you have all kinds of strings attached there to the fact that now, unlike any other form of loan, anybody anywhere can look up how much money you got as a loan, just based on your name. Well, why? Well, because the government gave it to you and then then said you could have it. And now they're going to publish to everybody who they gave the money to. Now, if you were getting a loan from a bank and the bank went out and published all of their customers' names, number one, they'd go out of business because the other banks would call up those customers and say, we can give you better rates. But number two, there's all kinds of privacy violations here. Well, it's the government. They don't, they're giving money away. They can do whatever they want. They are the ones that make the laws. If we don't like it, we elect somebody else. If enough of us don't like it, and that's that is it. Or we go somewhere else. You're right. Or you, we, we, we you can always go, go find else. another government. Somewhere. Uh, you know, Jamaica is really open to us talking to them about the strings attached to the money that they don't give away. Right. Right. So that's that's the issue. It's this is this well, is definitely a first world problem. If you have Italian ancestors, I understand the Italians are readily accepting Americans as Italian citizens. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They will sell you a whole village that's empty because everybody moved away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that's true. It I don't is know true. That there are, there right. are whole villages for sale at very low rates. You just don't have water or electricity. Well, they're in essence a ghost town. And if this were in Texas, people would buy it and make it a tourist attraction. But in Italy, all the tourist attractions are already in existence and have been there several thousand years. So it's really they hard. probably sell them to a movie studio, those villages. I, I would say that. But, you know, I'm not Italian. I'm not in charge of their government. I would definitely right. say. You're not? I mean, let's make some spaghetti westerns. Right. And all medieval villages. Like, yeah, they literally spaghetti westerns in this case. <laughs> yeah, that's what they were called because they made I them in Italy. I don't why they were called spaghetti westerns. Because they, they were, were made, in, made in Spain. Spain, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And some in Italy. Why they, they yeah. Spaghetti westerns made in Spain? Well, yeah. there's no national food of Spain that's convenient for us, so they call it spaghetti westerns. So all of this and is I, commerce and trade and, uh, and funniness. So yeah. yeah, you could go and live in Italy, and it's a very nice place to be. There's a couple of things that are very important. I have been reading again that index funds are wonderful and all you really need in your portfolio is an S&P 500 index fund or something that's equivalent and your retirement is secure and you're cool and you're ready to go. I have been reading that in normally well-respected media sources. Folks, I have heard this before. John Bogle trumpeted that. He, in interviews, said that. all To retire, all you need is a good S&P 500 index fund. Now, the company that he was the president of at the time, of course, founded the concept of S&P 500 index funds. So he may have been slightly prejudiced. But And he admitted later that most of his portfolio wasn't in index funds. Right. Uh, here's the point. Had you invested in, an, in Vanguard's S&P 500 index fund that John Bogle was saying was wonderful. In October of 2000, you would have seen momentarily the nominal dollars you invested at at that level. Let's say you put $100,000 in there. 
you would have seen it rise back to $100,000 in 2007. So it only took seven years. Of course, following 2007, it promptly dropped again. To get a sustained long-term recovery, if you had invested in that index fund in the year in, in the year 2000, you would have probably had to gone between 13 and 16 years. That's true. I hate to break that to everybody, but it's true. The other thing, and so diversification is critical at this point. Now, let me give you the backside of that discussion. The traditional way to get diversification, although not very scientifically supported, is the 60-40 portfolio. 60% of your money in, for example, an S&P 500 index fund and 40% of your money in a broad-based bond index fund. And you're cool and you're secure and you're ready to go. I have heard that so much and read that so much over the years, it makes me nauseous to think about it. Let me say again, the S&P 500 we reported earlier today is up significantly from where it was, but it's still down 16%. Those broad-based bond indices on which the broad-based bond, that's a mouthful, uh, mutual fund index funds, are based on ETFs are based on are down around 20%. Where in that picture did the 60-40 portfolio help you very much? I can't find it. The other thing is, and I have no certainty about this, if the Federal Reserve chairman is correct, and Lord, I think he may be very correct, if interest rates in the intermediate and long-term section of the, and even short-term bonds continue to rise over the next year or two, and it sure looks like they're going to, then that bond portfolio will be hurt a lot worse. So there's a couple of assumptions that have, that seem to be rampant at Morningstar, in the Wall Street Journal, at Forbes, at lots of places, that a big index fund and a Big index stock fund and a big index bond fund, when mixed together in a 60-40, gives you complete security. Folks, that is not true. It just the fact is that some of the events that occurred are now out of the memory of the people who are writing about them. And as a result, they don't think they're possible anymore. But as Jorge Santayana, well, George, I better yet, let's use Will, no, Will Rogers, uh, Mark Twain. History doesn't repeat itself. But it rhymes. Totally end of, true. End of, end, of, end of soapbox performance here. Well, I have a question. Okay. Marty says some things. Uh, he's basically asking, I'm going to paraphrase because it's a relatively long question. Uh, number one, how long do you think interest rates will be high? When will they go mm -hmm. down? Mm -hmm. um, he's interested in people holding margin accounts and they've got interest payments that are much higher. These would be on... Uh, lines of credits from brokerage firms or lines of credits on banks that are some kind of a floating rate interest rate that's obviously if it's floating it's going up with the tide and the tide is definitely going up so the interest rates are going up he said would love to hear your long-term view people that don't have time on investments will go out of business because of the abrupt increase in floating interest you're seeing that in the tech companies right now. That's the layoffs that you're seeing here. They, they were covering a bunch of stuff on floating rates. Something happened, I don't know, I don't know the exact date, when um, Apple came out with a 100-year bond. And we said, this is absolutely brilliant. This is the absolute record lowest interest rate anybody's ever seen. And they're 
they're just taking on all this debt at 100 years with this interest rate. That's brilliant because they'll be able to use this in place of shorter-term loans for hiring and firing. And you'll notice something about Apple. In the middle of all these tech layoffs, you don't see Apple doing it. I'm not saying Apple is somehow a magically good place. I really personally don't like them. I don't have Apple devices. I think it's made some good decisions and some bad decisions, and that was a good one. So what you're seeing in in the tech world, I mean, Twitter is a fantastic representation of this. The timing of that loan and the interest rate cycle that we're in, I don't know the details of the about $14 billion loan that's out there, but the payments are about a billion dollars a year. And they're probably, that. I mean, if you think about a $14 billion loan and a billion dollar a year payment, that's not a cheap interest rate by any stretch. Some part of that's principal, but that says that this is affecting a lot of people and it may cause much greater harm at the growth end or those that are living um, you know, during the downturn, they used the opportunity to take on as much debt as they could at these low interest rates. Yeah, these people are going to go out of business or go bankrupt. But and you're talking about Twitter. Yeah, and, and Twitter was purchased by the richest man on the planet. How could that possibly happen? Well, and the reality is that I don't think that Twitter is going to go bankrupt. It could. It obviously could. But I don't think it will. And and I think as a news issuing vehicle, it is still the number one readership on the planet. Now, hold on. You want to take over the conversation for a second? Yeah, okay. Uh, the issue is that Twitter's revenue is falling. Their interest rates are rising on their loan. And it is a really, really, really big loan. And whether they will go under or whatever, I'm sure... Elon Musk can always sell some Tesla stock and and refund Twitter, but that was an example of strategically a very, very poor move. Whereas Apple's purchase of long-term bonds at record low interest rates was a very good move. By the way, in that same time period, uh, the Secretary of the Treasury uh, under the previous administration wanted to go to long-term bonds because it was record low interest rates and the president vetoed it and said, no, keep all the borrowing short term. So we're, we're likely to suffer in that area too. Uh, and unfortunately we didn't do a lot of long-term borrowing in the United States government during that period. Right. And that is a thing we talked about it at the time. We said, this is silly. Yeah. The interest rates are ultra low at these short periods, but when we renew them, there's nothing to say that they'll still be low. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like we were prophetic, but really, you just just common sense. It's just well, it's not. Well, so, I wish I, I common sense were common. common. <laughs> we call it and, common and sense, I, but if it were common, and, we wouldn't call it that. And I will say that we were several years early in saying we're going to see substantial rises of interest rates in the future. Sure, we, we were. were. Uh, but we we called it. It's it, happening. So there's a different way of saying that. We called this years in advance. What really happened well, is that we called it way early and we we're like, be careful, interest rates are about to jump up. And we were saying that for about six years before they actually did. Uh, well, they've done it. And it's, it saved us a lot. And being wrong by six years saved our clients a lot of money. Um, yeah. Not yes, that we're right anyway. all the time, but that, that was an area that, that we're kind of happy about. Now I want to talk about something in the economy, if I could. Please do. Economy? Okay. What are we talking about? The economy? Well, there's a couple of... There's a couple of numbers that came out this 
week from the ISM, the Institute for Supply Management, and they have something called a PPI. So it's the ISM PPI. That's all I need to say, right? And oh, oh, yeah. As opposed to S&P PMI. 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 It's the PMI. The purchasing managers, it has nothing to do with premenstrual. It is the purchasing managers oh, index. My oh, my goodness. Uh, not going to say anything. My except, wife is. I'm just not. On that. I'm not saying anything except that I'm not saying anything. Right. Exactly. Anyway, the point is the. PMI is a good indication of where the economy is going because purchasing managers in corporations are the people who buy the stuff that the corporation has orders on to turn into something useful and then sell. Um, And that is true in service organizations as well as manufacturing organizations. So they are the most reliable source of where we're going to go over the next three, six, and even 12 months. Well, we would hope the Federal Reserve said that with our raising of interest rates, that things will slow down and businesses will stop buying so much stuff and everything will be happy and the inflation will go away. But the Institute for Supply Management issued its monthly survey of service company purchasing managers and the score came in at 55.1. Why is 55.1 important? Anything above 50 means growth. Anything below 50 means contraction. The manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index is at 47.1, which, okay, well, it's, was it 40, it, it, okay. Um, What were, no, I'm sorry, 47.7, it's better than last month's 47.4. So what's really going on out there? Well, 77% of our economy is services, our GDP, 77%, and only 11% is manufacturing. What that says is the United States economy is growing and likely to continue to grow substantially over the next half year to a year, which kind of pops the bubble on people who said we were going to have a recession. There is the, the, the prime indicator as to whether or not we're going to have a recession is our companies anticipating if they got orders and they strongly see that they're going to be selling things. Another thing, they're still hiring people like mad in the services industry. They want to hire people because they don't have enough people to meet existing demand. Throw in the fact that disposable income of the American average American household rose six-tenths of 1% last month. Six-tenths of 1%. Now, well, what's six-tenths of 1%? Multiply that times 12, folks. That's a lot of income, disposable income, after paying for necessities and debts and everything else you're doing, we're seeing every indication at the fundamental level that we're in a good growth economy and it's stabilizing. There, Despite the tea leaves of interest rates and stock market and lots of other things that historically have preceded recessions, the underlying fundamentals say we're on a roll and we're likely to stay on a roll for some time uh, to the point where the big economics houses, the big investment banks are beginning to change their tune from we're going to have a recession early in 2023 to, well, maybe we'll have a real mild recession late in 2023. And some of them are saying, well, maybe we won't have a recession of any kind. Yeah. There we'll was just a, keep growing. There was a nice article in the Wall Street Journal basically saying the spread of consensus in economists is totally not a consensus it is so spread apart it's all every possible outcome is being predicted by large groups of economists we're about out of time for this hour um if you'd like to talk to us off the air we have voicemail on the weekend real live people during the week locally at 
254-947-1111. Or toll free, if you still have a landline, 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can see our fabulous mate for radio faces. Uh, You can read about our philosophy, read our newsletter. It comes out every Friday. You can sign up for the newsletter there. You can contact us through the contact form or through email at jeff or jake at tpwc.com. You can also find our podcast anywhere podcasts are found or not found. You won't find them where they're not found. Um, Until next hour, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.